Okay. Okay. Hope you can hear me too. Yes. Um, so welcome everyone. Uh, I'm Ben Gramico. I'm from InterNACHI and we're all on the contact page. Uh, if you ever want to uh, talk to me, uh, ask me questions, I'm always available. So is everybody else. And we're on the contact page. That's at natchiorg slash contact. And I thought I'd um, go through uh, a home inspection that I did a little while ago and um, show you how um, to do a home inspection. And we could also talk about anything else. We could talk about um, uh, doing your first inspection, uh, networking, networking with real estate agents, um, uh, boosting your business, getting certified for the initial time, um, licensing, marketing, um, anything you want, software, checklists, uh, tools, anything you want. But uh, maybe uh, we can just go over a, a home inspection that I did um, as a backdrop. So you're a member of InterNACHI, that's fantastic. Uh, welcome to the family. And you're also taking courses at the only home inspector college in the world. And it's tuition free because you're a member of InterNACHI. You don't pay for any of the online courses provided by the InterNACHI school. And I do um, web webinars, live online free classes about performing inspection, um, business, marketing, writing inspection reports. And sometimes we have vendors um, selling their stuff, which is uh, kind of interesting if you wanted to ask them uh, difficult questions. And that's at natchiorg slash webinars. So as you can see, like there's a few things that I wanted to share with you with a URL. So if you uh, have a um, your ledger or your notebook uh, and a pen, um, or you want to snap pictures, or you want to email me later for these URLs, you can. Uh, my, um, my email is ben at internatchi.org. If you're driving around and you want to listen to home inspection stuff, uh, the InterNACHI Home Inspector podcast is a, a good podcast. We have a, a few hundred episodes up there. Now, by the end of the week, you should be an InterNACHI certified home inspector. But InterNACHI has a ton more certifications, additional certifications for ancillary inspections. And uh, all the training and certifications are online, uh, most of them. Uh, the sewer scope training and certification, you have to do live. It's a live hands-on class. Um, you can't do it online. You got to really work with a sewer scope in order to get trained and certified. Um, just about everything else is free and online. And that's at natchiorg slash certification. And you do that by the end of the week, you become a CPI and a CPI logo is right there. Um, there's six steps to becoming a certified professional inspector, CPI, and getting that designation, CPI designation, even in addition to licensing. If you're coming from an area, not in Colorado, um, you, all you need is certification. But if you're coming from a, um, a state where you are required to be licensed by the state, you should get both. And um, that's because when you become an InterNACHI certified home inspector, uh, that triggers a lot of things at InterNACHI. A lot of benefits um, start for you. One of them is the InterNACHI marketing team. The marketing team designs everything you need, um, helps you with your website, uh, business logo, business cards, flyers, brochures. You can do a car wrap. You can get T-shirts designed by InterNACHI, InterNACHI's marketing team. You can get a, a home maintenance book. Uh, from InterNACHI, you can design, customize the front logo, a front cover of it. Um, all of these things 
the international marketing team does all the work. There are six professionals on the team. They work for free. So they do all the design work for free. All you do, for example, would be pay for the printing of the business cards, but they'll design it for you. And they'll take a look at your existing logo. Let's say you have an existing logo. They'll tweak it just a little bit to make it much better. And that's free too. Um, so if you have an existing logo, let them look at it and make it a little bit bigger. Um, don't download anything from the internet. Don't get your cousin to try to do it. Um, having a, a huge team of people working for you, it would be impossible for you. I don't care if you're a veteran inspector, a multi-inspector company, um, it would be impossible to hire the internet marketing team. There's six of them and you can't pay them all to work on your business. They'll provide you with guidance and consulting and design services, and it's all free. All you do is pay for the printing. So I would start with, uh, to work the system, to work the team, become a CPI by the end of the week, and then reach out to the marketing team. They're on the contact page and ask, what can you do for my business? Maybe get a logo designed, order a box of business cards. It's a huge box of business cards. I think it's a hundred bucks, have them shipped to you, but have them design it for you and let them do all the work for you. Okay, let's inspect this house, okay? And along the way, um, I don't know how we're gonna do this but because I can't see you, but if you have a question, that'd be great. Um, I don't know if I can see the chat or Randall can figure it out, but please interrupt me. Um, and we'll talk for, let's go for about an hour and uh, maybe end up with some questions, okay? Because that's ideally, that's what I really want to do. I want to attend to all of your needs. But I thought opening up the class, showing you how I do a home inspection and make a ton of cash, that'd be kind of fun. And it all starts with the standards of practice. Standards of practice is the absolute minimum that you are required to do. It also helps you out because it lists all the things you're not required to do. You're not required to find every home defect. You're not not required to find every defect in a home. And so when you think about that, then going through a house is a lot of fun actually, because you're not required to find every problem. The real estate agent might think you are, or maybe the contractor might think you are, but you're actually not. And so let's find some defects. We'll start with the roof, because that's where the standards of practice starts. So I use the standards of practice as a base. Um, if you're using Spectora, uh, I have a template in Spectora or Inspector Toolbelt. I have a template Inspector Toolbelt, Home Inspector Pro. I think I have a template in there, my actual report template. And it runs on a, a mobile device, okay? And so I start my inspection at the roof. I turn on my software and I go to uh, the roof section and I start clicking things, sentences that I want to appear in the, in the report and also take pictures as well. And the standards of practice is where I start. It's where I look, it's where I build my inspection checklist of the things that I'm required to do and extra stuff because I can exceed the standards if I want to. And it also helps me look really smart because I, I won't forget anything. When I'm doing an inspection and I'm carrying my checklist with me, I can't mess up. It helps reduce my liability it keeps me focused. It keeps me on track so that I'm efficient with my time, which is really important. And um, I produce a really nice report according to a standards practice. So, it, and it produces this report and it, 
and um, so I got the standards of practice and I have my inspection process and my report and they all look the same really because they're all based upon a standard. So go to natcha.org slash SOP and start with the roof section. Now, this is me. This is me climbing the roof. If I can get on the roof, I will. That was part of our brand. We distinguished ourselves from all the rest. We gave people a reason to hire us instead of the other person by walking on the roof. Um, I built homes before I was a home inspector. My business partner was a roofer uh, who had uh, sore knuckles and knees, so became a home inspector. It's perfect. Um, so that's what I did. It's not recommended. It's not required. It's not safe. Don't do it. If you're not trained, if you're not comfortable, it's you want to come, you want to come back home. That's your goal. Come back home after doing a great job of performing inspections for your neighbors. You're not required to walk upon a roof. So in the market, in my marketing, I would have these pictures because I want everybody to understand why I'm different, what makes me special why I should be hired instead of the next inspector who doesn't, who stays on the ground. Now there's a way to beat me or maybe meet my value that I provide to my clients. Cause this is valuable information to see the roof. You can become a drone pilot, right? Um, it was just for fun, maybe five years ago, but now it's really good. They've got some training certification. We've got classes. We have trainers. We've got videos. We've got logos and marketing. Um, and this is one way to beat me in the market because this picture right here really shows off what I bring to the table, why I'm different from all the rest. And if you and I were in the same market, it'd be a lot of fun. I'd be putting these pictures out on the internet, Facebook and Instagram, you know, and on my on my homepage of my website, maybe, you know, and showing off in presentations that I, I get up on the roof. And so, you know, hire a, an inspector who actually gets up on the roof. That's, that would be my, how would you compete with me? Right. That's the fun thing where you're competing with your friendly competitors and it kind of makes everybody a little bit better. So one way to do it is stay on the ground, use binoculars, other vantage points, Maybe go up to the gutter edge, maybe go up to the gutter or the eaves with a ladder or use, um, use a contractor, have, have somebody come with you who's trained and qualified or get um, a pilot license to fly a drone. And this picture is really good. I like to show that I'm touching things that I inspect and it forces me to actually get down and dirty, get really close to what I'm supposed to be inspecting according to a standards of practice. I'm, re I'm required to inspect the roof covering material. And this is me touching the roof covering material. I know the condition of this system and component because I was right there. I was on it and I was touching it. So if I'm contacted months later and the uh, homeowner is complaining about a roof leak, well, I know the condition was good at the time of the inspection and I did not observe any indications of an active roof leak or any reason that the roof would leak. The roof may leak, roof may leak the day after I perform a home inspection, but according to the standards of practice, and other rules, I'm not responsible for future events. So if I'm not responsible for finding every defect and I'm not responsible for future events, wow, now my, my job is getting a lot easier or at least more enjoyable, right? There isn't a lot of pressure 
you may feel like being home, being a home inspector is a thousand things to inspect and is very difficult. It's actually very easy. Let me tell you the truth. The performing an inspection is the easy thing. It's fairly straightforward. What's difficult is being successful in your business and your marketing. And that's where internet actually comes in. So what I do is I take a ton of pictures of the roof and also take video. So here's some video. I'm actually talking uh, about the system, the roof system, actually the roof covering, because that's what you're required to inspect. You're not actually inspecting the roof as a system, because as a system, you would have to inspect the fastening, the underlayment, the decking, the, the fastening of the decking, and you can't see any of that stuff. So what you're actually inspecting is the roof covering materials. Now that's the, that's the stack, that's the vent stack for the gas the heating system I'm assuming right now, because I do the roof first, I, I don't go inside. There's some vent pipes there with flashing. And this is, um, this is me spinning around and making everybody dizzy. But what I do at the end of the inspection, I, I end by inspection in the kitchen. And then I play this video for my client. I bring them all in and make sure the real estate agent is there. And I crank up the sound and I show them this video and they're looking at the video and they go, oh, that's, that's our house? And I like, yep, that is your house. That is your roof. So uh, I want them to see the roof. And so I, I do video. And if you are using modern software with a mobile device, you can do that. It's starting to be a, an expectation of clients, I would say. Pictures and video, especially of systems and components that your client can get into in the crawl space, right? They don't want to go in a crawl space or in the attic. So shoot a bunch of pics, some video, and then share it with them. And you can exceed the standards of practice, just like I did. I was up walking on the roof. That's exceeding the standard. I'm not required to, but I do. And we wrote an article about should you exceed or not exceed? That's the question. And you can. You just have to um, expect all of your clients to get the same service. If I'm going on a roof to inspect the, the vent flashing, the ridge flashing here um, for my client, then every client should expect that. And that's what the probably judge would say, right? So there's me touching the vent pipes coming through on any roof penetration. I'm going to try to get close to it. I'm not crawling down to the very edge of the roof and falling off. I'm just going to stay near the ridge and take pictures of every plane, every surface, walk around a little bit. Remember, my goal was to get back home, get back on the ladder. That's the chimney stack there. Collar flashing, sealed really well. Looks good. Gutters, they're clean. Gutters are clean. That's a good shot while I'm coming down off the ladder. And then while I'm coming down off the ladder, I'm taking pictures of other components. There's the eaves, soffit, vents, and there's the front door from above. And now I'm on the ground. When I get off of the roof, I have inspected the roof. I've taken pictures. I've taken video. I've used my checklist. I'm actually done writing the inspection of that system, the roof system, that roof section. And I get there early. So I'm coming down off the roof at about the time my clients show up. And I do two inspections a day. I can do, we used to do three, used to do one, but two, you can do two on your own. 
And maybe that's the way you compete with me as well. Maybe I'm moving too fast for first time home buyers and, and you can spend more time. I have an eight o'clock, 8 a.m. and a 12. I do an inspection in about three hours, have lunch in between, do another inspection at noon. That's three o'clock, drive home, maybe get to the office. Maybe I don't need to go to the office. Maybe you go to the office once or twice or I have a home office or something like that, your situation. And around 4.30, I'm home. I'm 4, 4.30, I'm home before rush hour. And I'm done because I have written all of my inspection reports while I was in the truck having lunch or while I was actually inspecting. And I'm done with my day. I have my evening. And that's one, another way that I beat my competition. They're still working and wearing themselves out. I'm enjoying my evening with my family and friends. Now, if you're weak in anything, there's, it all depends on how you count it. There's nine or 12 systems. If you're weak in any of the systems, that's okay. You can go to natchee.org, type in where you're weak, enter roof into the search field. Let's just do that now. Let's, let's see if I can do this. Hopefully you're all seeing what I'm seeing. Um, there's our education page. You scroll down to this field and you type in um, roof and all of the roof courses on the right side pop up. Got a roof data technician, general roof inspection training video course, advanced residential roof inspection course. There's a course for South Africa. There's slate, there's metal roofs, tile roofs, on and on and on. So if you're weak in an area, like I don't know how to inspect a roof. It's quite all right. You just gain the knowledge through the only home inspector college on the planet for free. All the courses are free and they're all accredited. It's the best place to go. Back to the standards of practice. You'll see, if you look at the standards of practice, it's chunked in three chunks. The standards require you to inspect, describe, and report. The inspect part is basically your checklist. The described part is those things have to be in the report. Um, sorry, those things have to be described in the report. And then your reporting is a few things that absolutely have to be um, in your report. So inspect, describe it in a certain way, and put it in the report. And according to the standards of practice, I'm required to inspect these things in relation to the roof, the roof covering materials, right? We did that, asphalt shingle, three tab. And one of the things that I like is to use past tense in my reports, in my comments. And the one way um, that I like to report upon the condition of a system, uh, like the roof would be like this. I did not observe, that's in the past, I did not observe indications of a defect or indications of a roof leak or indications of a, a water problem or indications of um, mold growth within the system or with the system or at the system or in front of the system or under the, you know, I did not observe indications of a defect with the system at the time of the inspection. Trying to get your observations in the past, Don. I've been sued as a home inspector, small claims, no big deal, in and out in about five minutes. Someone sued me for um, a few things, like um, one time I was brought in because they found termites on, in, in a floor, uh, a wood plank floor in the dining room, and uh, came in, I, I went to the front, I remember it was to my left, I turned to the left and I could just see the infestation and the damage because the contractor got there, right? And the contractor said, well, your inspector should have found this. Okay, so then I pulled out the pictures of the baby grand piano 
in the dining room, right? Right where that termite infestation was. And on on top, on underneath the baby grand was carpeting, a huge big carpet, almost spanning the entire floor of the dining room. So there was infestation underneath a carpet and on top of it was literally a baby grand piano. It's kind of funny. You're not required to move things like baby grand pianos in order to observe defects, right? So um, I reminded my client uh, of the condition of the dining room at the time of the inspection, right? Where I did not observe any defects with the floor system at the time of the inspection. And the pictures really helped out. Take a picture of everything. I know one inspe home inspector, um, he just did a, a video on our YouTube channel. He takes a video of the entire home. He holds the camera in front of him and he walks through the entire home and takes a video of everything. First, that's like the first thing. He does a quick scan of everything. That's awesome. But maybe, maybe, you know, you don't have to do it like that, but you know, you have to pick what choose, what what things work for you. Um, and it's, the keywords are observed and deemed material. So like I said before, you're not required to find every defect in a home. And that's really great. If there was a defect right behind me, right? And I don't observe it, then it's not going to be in the report. If there's a defect right behind me and I, I, I see it, I see a problem, but I don't think it's material. It's a material defect. That's the big one. That's the serious one. Then it won't be in the report necessarily. But if I both observe the defect and I deem it to be material, then it has to be in the report. And if you don't put a big hole that's in the roof that you both observe and you think is a major problem and you don't put it in a report, then you're gonna have a problem, right? You can't, you're not doing what a home inspector is expected to do. If you, if you both observe a defect and you think it, uh, if you consider it to be a major problem, then you got to put it in a report. And if you forget to put it in a report, I'm not sure. Um, you need you need other systems in place, like software that reminds you of things. Or maybe you need to tell your client um, you'll have the report in 48 hours because you need to go back and read the report slowly. But you'll see that when you see something and you think it's a big thing, you'll take a picture of it, a video of it, and you'll put it in the report with your mobile device immediately. It, it'll just be in there real quick. And that's one way to be uh, a great inspector. When you find a problem, don't wait 24 hours to remember to put it back in the report. Try to inspect and write at the same time so that when you both observe a defect and deem it, consider it to be an important defect to put in the report, put it in the report right there, right there and then. Okay, you can, you can have a great time if you just do that. Inspect and write at the same time. And it's also part of your brand that, then you can compete with slower, literally slower inspectors. If you can't get the report out almost immediately, if you can't get a summary out at the end of the inspection, you're probably using the wrong software. I mean, I think, People are expecting that by now. Maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, inspectors were saying you'll have the report within 24 to 48 hours. Try to get at least a summary. And you don't even have to print it out nowadays. You just, the report is in the cloud and you share the link to the summary.
Hey, Ben, just really um, quick. Are there other any... types of defects that I could observe? Yeah. Does you go to natchez.org slash glossary and you enter defect. There's a several other types of defects. You don't have to use these terms, but it's, it's good for you to have a standard set of terms, terminology, definitions, words that you use over and over again in your business. And they mean something to you and your client. Um, code violations, you're not required to be a code inspector. If you see a code violation, you're not required to report it. You're not a code inspector, you're not doing a code inspection. Um, uh, but if you do see something that you both observe and deem to be a material defect, then it should be in the report. And that could be a code violation. I wouldn't, um, I'd stick to become, being a home inspector, not reporting upon code. Hey, Ben, can you The only thing me? I'm required to inspect in this roof section are the gutters. And we saw that, right? They're nice and clean and empty. And the downspouts, we saw that. They're discharging away from the house enough. The vents, yep. We saw a ridge vent, saw at the eaves, a soffit vent. And then there's a ridge vent opening in the attic space. I get there around 10 o'clock. If this was an 8 a.m. inspection, around 10 o'clock, I'm in the attic and I can see underneath the, the roof. And there's the soffit vents there. There's a soffit tray vent. Looks like a bathroom fan is exhausting right there. We don't want that. We want it outside. We want it literally outside. Some could argue that the attic is outside, but not really. Um, flashing, you want to inspect the flashing around anything that penetrates the roof, like the vent pipes and where a smaller roof meets a sidewall, there should be flashing there. You wanna observe that area. And maybe you can't see anything. Maybe it's installed so well that there isn't anything, but that's fine. Just look, just take a look at these critical areas. Skylights, we don't have any. Chimney, there that, there's that, got that. And there's it from the, the basement. It's coming from the heating system and other roof penetrations. And then the general structure of the roof from readily accessible panels, doors, and stairs. And when you get in the attic, that's what it looks like. So I'm gonna inspect the roof from underneath. Some inspectors inspect this area before they get on the roof. Um, I've never needed to do that. It's up to you. According to the Home Inspection Standards of Practice, I'm required to describe the type of roof covering and materials. We know it's asphalt shingle, three tab, and I'm required to report any uh, observe indications of active roof leaks. And I didn't see any. That's the system. That roof system inspection should take me about 10 minutes. That's about it. It's about 10, 10, 15 minutes. That's including the ladder. Setting up the ladder, locking it in place. Sometimes I tie it. Forget, there's now locks to lock your top of your ladder to the gutter. I had a buddy who didn't and the wind blew and we had to rescue him off the roof. So you want to secure your ladder if you're going to use one or use a drone. Now, when you use a drone, it's going to take you, I would say a little bit longer than me to inspect the roof, mm, but you're going to have some really great shots. Those real estate agents are going to just love that um, because you can take a really nice picture of the neighborhood. Don't fly over anybody. Just stick to your house. Okay. Uh, learn how to inspect the exterior. That's the next system I do. I do the roof. I do the exterior. Remember, I, when I get up, get up, get off of the roof, I meet my client. I'm trying to time it just right 
So they, they pull into the driveway and I meet my client, lots of business cards, first impression, big smile. And I tell them about the condition of the roof. I ask them if they want to walk around with me, starting with the exterior next. I'm in control of what we inspect. I do not allow my client to take me around the house and point over here and point over there and point over here. It'll take all day. I'm using the standards of practice to be efficient. I'm not running through the house. I'm not blowing them off. I'm not skipping anything. I'm using uh, a standards of practice, a process, a checklist, a step-by-step guide so that I can be efficient with my time. And in business, you want to be efficient with your time and money. In business, a general rule, you want to make a lot of money in, in a little bit of time. In home inspections, that's, that's true. You want to make a lot of money. It's like a fraction. The numerator divided by the denominator. The top number is the amount of money you can gross revenue make divided by your time. So if it takes me about four hours to do a home inspection, three, four with driving, and I'm charging, let's make the math easy, 400, then I'm about $100 an hour. And that makes me happy. Because at the end of the day, eight hour, 10 hour a day, I'm, I'm pushing a, grand, a thousand bucks gross revenue. Okay, that's really good for an inspector, I would say. Um, to increase gross revenue, you have to become certified in other things. Doing ancil- offering ancillary inspections, pool inspections, termite inspections, radon inspections, mold inspections, sewer scope inspections, without adding more too much time, that's a great way to increase gross revenue. So you want to increase gross revenue, but not increase your time. You want to keep it efficient. That's why software, standards, processes, checklists, they're all really important. And practicing. If you're new, you have to practice how to inspect over and over again, like inspect your home 10 times. You should be efficient, not running through, not blown up, not skipping. Just be efficient with your time. Um, tonight, doesn't matter if you're in an Airbnb, a hotel room, uh, a house, an apartment, inspect the bathroom using software. We have checklists. Well, I can show you a checklist. If you don't have any software, it's okay. Use the InterNACHI mock inspection checklist software. And you can do a report with it. No pictures. Or you can take pictures with your phone. But a bathroom should be about five minutes. It's not a big deal. A heating system, 15, 20 minutes. Electrical panel, 15, 20 minutes. Those are big systems. Right? Hot water tank, 10 minutes. A roof, 15. Because you, you, don't, you don't want to fall off on a roof. So very dangerous. Exterior, another thing. So in my head, I know how long every system and component was going to take. And I have to pace myself. Like I know exterior, I, I should be about 15 minutes in this house. Because if you're taking all day to make $400, you're not going to be in business very long. In business, the rule of thumb is money divided by time. According to the home inspection standards of practice, I have to inspect all these things on the exterior. Well, it's actually not that bad. It just looks like a lot. Let's go through them. Exterior wall covering materials. You can call it siding if you want to. One of the cool things about using terms, remember I, I talked about using the right terminology, is that um, at Internet, we use code for our training. And in code, it says uh, 
we refer to it as interior and exterior, um, interior and exterior wall covering. Interior coverings include all this stuff. And where's, where's exterior? And exterior wall coverings um, include vinyl, right? So you can call it vinyl siding. Uh, that, that's no big deal. Or you can call it um, exterior wall covering materials. But ha having a, a base of terminology keeps everything consistent. And you want to make your reports easy to read, clear to understand. So exterior wall covering is next on the exterior for me. And I inspect the exterior wall covering and it's vinyl, vinyl siding and looks really good. This is not an old home. Looks in pretty good shape. Looking left and right, up and down, and I'm going counterclockwise around the house. I take a look at the eaves, soffit, fascia. They're all together. That's like the eaves here. I consider this like eaves and then soffit and fascia board, which is behind the gutter. Representative number of windows because second floor windows, I can't even get to them, right? And I'm not I'm moving my ladder around the house to get to every window and inspect every window. It's a representative number, representative number of windows, representative number of interior doors, representative number of lights inside, representative number of receptacles inside. So when I'm inside, I take a look at representative number of windows from the inside. So this is the second floor bedroom. I'll do this later around 1030. I'll be at that window. All exterior doors, all of them, all the exterior doors. And when I inspect an exterior door, I kind of look left, left bottom, left top, right top, right bottom, something like that. I'm looking down here for water intrusion and damage. And I'm looking at the top for um, flashing. So there's some weathered paint down here. No big deal. Looks pretty good. All sealed up. Not bad. Here's the other exterior door. I'm required to inspect all exterior doors. This is a slider door, probably from a dining room here into the back porch with brick. The issue here is um, there's no handrail. Well, I'm not a code inspector, but this is a safety problem. So I wouldn't say code while I'm talking to my client. I could. I actually am a code inspector through InterNACHI and ICC. We partnered up. But um, I'm a home inspector. And as a home inspector, you have to know a few things about building standards and when the code says or the standard says or the building set or the, the standard is when you have four or more steps you have to have a handrail it's risers so here's a riser one two three four i need a handrail and we actually have five you can count this one so we need a, a guard or a handrail right here ideally it would be on the side where you're coming down and most people are right-handed so it'll be on the right side but I think this is the door that slides open. So the handrail, it would be impractical to have it over here. So you're gonna put it over here, but you can put it on both sides either way. You have to have it on at least one side. And since this is the door, probably over here, but that's up to the contractor. And the code, well, somebody may say, like a real estate agent may say, well, that's how it was built. It was built a code back then, right? Maybe, but maybe not. Am I going to go back and figure out the building department and what year of the code they're using 
And which code is it the IRC or something? Which year is it 2009 still? Are they way back in the past? Or is it 2018 or this year to uh, 2021, last iteration? Doesn't matter. You're not a code inspector. And so what I would do is I would say, this is a material defect. Someone's gonna get hurt. Someone's gonna walk out of here. And this, this step is a lot bigger than this step. They're just gonna trip. And they're gonna, usually people fall downwards. And that's why code exists. Code exists for residential and commercial properties because someone got hurt. And so um, you're not a code inspector, but you can call this out as a safety hazard, a defect. And we need a handrail here because of building practices, modern building practices. And this, this is kind of dumb because the, they covered the basement window with these steps. I just don't like this whole thing at all. I think they should just do a deck. You know, you can keep the basement window and then control your steps. Oh, well. Uh, and then there's a screen that's loose. And there's the garage door. I take a look at the bottom left, bottom right of the garage door. I'm required to look at adjacent walkways and driveways. So I'm taking a look there. That's the public street. That looks pretty good. There's the driveway. Asphalt looks good. Stairs, stoops, ramps, stairways, and ramps. Um, stairs, steps, stoops stairways and ramps. Um, so everything looks good here, except for the handrail there. And um, I like to read code. I don't know if you're into it, um, but chapter three, 311.7.8 is the handrail section. Um, porches, patios, decks, and balconies, and all that other kind of stuff around the house. It's very easy. Need a handrail there. Retaining wall, vegetation, grading of the property. It's pretty flat. I see a sump pump discharge here. I bet that's a sump pump discharge. And walk up to it and yep, it is. It's been hit by the lawnmower a bunch of times. Um, and when I get into the basement, that's the same discharge pipe. So it is a sump pump. And I have to describe the exterior wall covering materials in the report, vinyl. Report any need of uh, fixing the spindles or railings. Yep, we've got a missing railing there. Now I'm in the basement. And this is where the heavy lifting is. This is where the heavy load, this is the, my next hour, I'm gonna be doing this kind of stuff, the foundation, the heating system, the plumbing, things like that. Um, I'm required to inspect as much of the structure as I can see. Um, there are things in the way, obviously, but some of the stuff I can see, like joist hangers, I can look at joists, Look at the, the, the bracing, the band and rim joist, the, the concrete. I can look at a lot of structure. The main beam, how it's supported. Is it cracked? Is it rusted? I'm looking at the perimeter for a foundation basement like this. Maybe you're in an area without any basements, but um, in areas in the United States, like we big dig hole, we dig big holes and um, pour concrete. Sometimes it's block, sometimes it's poured concrete like this and it's reinforced. And sometimes they crack, sometimes they leak water. Um, this is a gardening tool because I want to reach up and I want to look at the insulation, especially under a door. So this is a, the door here to the back with the deck. And I want to move this insulation just so I can see if there's any wood rot around here. So this is a gardening tool. It's extendable handle, three tines. Um, one, I curl, the other one I heat up and straighten so I can poke around and move some insulation and nobody knows I put it right back. And then the poured concrete, um, somebody saw this hairline crack 
no big deal. It's a shrinkage crack, very common. They try to put some um, silicone on it. That's not, that's not smart. I see the, uh, the patch here, right? And watermarks on top of the patch. Fills below it, you know, it's the same kind of concern I have. It's not a structural concern. The crack is common. It's a hairline shrinkage crack. You can learn all about it in our foundational class, um, foundation class and structure issues class. Um, it's not displaced, it's not moving, it's not separating or anything. I can't even get a coin in, in the crack, but there is water coming through and it's such an easy fix to squirt some epoxy there or, or slap it. Um, so I'm just gonna include that in the report. Whenever I see water coming through a crack, that's not a structural problem. Um, it's a water intrusion problem. If they're going to finish that basement with that crack, that's not a good thing to have water coming through a hairline crack. Um, that's a check valve on the sump pump. Sump pump is discharging outside. We saw the discharge pipe on the outside. Um, there's a sump pump lid. I opened it up and it's basically dry. I always take a picture of whether there's water in it or, or not, or water levels or, or anything like that. And I'm not going to fill this up like a jetted jacuzzi or something and try to discharge it. I'll just let it go. Um, I have to describe the type of foundation, poor concrete foundation. And then we have a textbook, the college textbook about structural issues. It's a really neat read. It's really good. Uh, it mirrors the online course called uh, with the same title. Uh, or you can go to any natchee.org page and then top right corner, uh, look for whatever you're looking for. Uh, just search for whatever you're looking for. Oops. So let's try this again. You go to the search field and you type in um, concrete. Oops, concrete, if I can only spell. So you can learn about concrete admixtures, uh, visual inspection of concrete, history of concrete, shrinkage cracks. So let's go to visual inspection of concrete. Okay, so um, this is a nice short little article about different types of cracks. Um, and so the point is that internet, she has all these resources for you to gain knowledge in any area that you wanna improve yourself upon, right? Uh, standards of practice, I'm required to inspect, describe and report. Report any of these problems. So if you see any of these problems, they gotta be in the report. Wood in contact with soil, active water penetration. I got that, right? That's gonna be in the report and I'm gonna recommend an epoxy seal. Observe indications of movement, like cracks or anything out of square notching, boring, cutting of floor joists. Nope, I didn't see that. But if I did, um, I would probably include a nice little graphic here that you can get from our gallery. So you go natchee.org slash gallery, you can get this illustration. Uh, Internet's marketing team, remember them? I was talking about them earlier. Um, they drew all these. So you can freely download them and put them in your report. Why? To help you describe what you are seeing and trying to describe something technical with a visual image. And also it makes your report look really professional. Heating system. It's very easy, about 15 minutes. I'm gonna turn the heat on, let the fan run, turn the air conditioner on, let the fan run, put it back where it was. That's about it. So there's the thermostat. This is the heating system and the cooling system. It's forced air. Um, air is coming back as a return duct through the air filter blower fan down here, heating here, air conditioner there. This is the gas vent pipe. We saw the chimney stack on the on top of the roof, remember? Gas line coming in, drip, 
hard line coming in. There's a gas valve on the top. You can't see it. This is a condensate drain pipe from the air conditioner. When the air conditioner is running and produces condensate, the vent pipe doesn't produce condensate. It's not category four. It's not high efficiency. It's mid efficiency. This pipe is hot. If it was high efficiency, this pipe would be plastic. This is a metal pipe. It's not as efficient of a heating system uh, as it can be, but I'm not going to say, oh, you got to replace it to be high efficient. If it works, it works. This is um, a, um, a uh, maintenance guide. Uh, I always look at that. If it hasn't been serviced and maintained within a year, I put that in the report so that I can get a, a service technician to further evaluate something. Um, this is an emergency shut off switch at the top of the basement stairs. And if you're wondering how to inspect a gas furnace, for example, we have a ton of home inspection checklists. And that's as, at this URL. I know it's hard to write down, but um, you can email me uh, for uh, these slides, natcha.org slash home hyphen inspection hyphen checklist. I can go there now. It's a really great resource because here's your basic home inspection checklist. If you don't have software, you can download this. It's in uh, English or Spanish. It's in a Word document. You can uh, use a laptop or a mobile device to use it. And it's based upon the standards of practice. So this is where you practice. You practice performing that bathroom inspection. You practice performing your home 10 times. You offer the next real estate agent a free inspection of their home. When you get confident in performing inspections, now that's where you want to be. You need experience, right? Especially if you're new. So you want to practice performing inspections. So we have a free checklist software. We have discounted software as well from our vendors. Um, here's the gas furnace inspection checklist. You can download it. Energy inspection checklist, mold, pool and spa, radon, sewer scope, um, wood destroying organism, any checklist you want. We even have a refrigerator checklist. So where are we? Let's see. Uh, we're here. Um, you can't find a, a crack in a heat exchanger. This used to be a big deal. Um, can you find a crack in a heat exchanger? You really can't. So there's a video here. It's kind of fun to watch of me tearing apart a gas furnace and finding a crack in a heat exchanger. And it's just impossible to find. Um, this is another video of all of the categories, low, high, mid efficiencies, um, different, there are four categories. And uh, you can take a look at that. That's This content is also in the HVAC course as well. There's a lot of videos in our courses to help you um, be a better inspector by giving you the knowledge that you need in order to perform an inspection according to a standards of practice. And you're required to describe the location, energy source, and heating method, right? Thermostat's very easy. It's in the dining room. Energy source, that's, here's the gas line. Mm, what's this? Uh, that doesn't look like natural gas. It's not. It's propane. There's the propane tank there and the controls. And the valve, shutoff valve, to the heating system. And the heating method, that it just means you're moving air around. Report in, um, in the report. There should be, um, if you if the heating system or a cooling system doesn't operate, or if you can't get to it, that should be in the report. I didn't have that problem. And uh, there's the heating system, gas coming in, shut off. There's air filter. It's being sucked into the fan. It's not installed properly. It's actually torn apart. So I'm just put that in the report as a an improvement is recommended. It hasn't been cleaned and serviced in a while. And there's the the connections, the fasten connections of the 
gas exhaust going up through the roof. There's there. And the ductwork. Ideally, you know, seams would be sealed with mastic. Um, sometimes I'll pull off a floor register and stick my camera in there. It's usually a lot of junk in there. People who are sensitive to indoor air quality maybe um, may find that valuable. That information is valuable. That's essentially what you are doing. You are selling information to help clients who are your neighbors to make informed decisions about their home, about buying the home and how to maintain it. You know, ideally you want to be thinking of your business as um, providing valuable information. You want to educate people on how their home works, how to maintain it and how to save energy. That's a hot topic now. So this is the cooling system. Same thing. Turn it on, turn it off. Location of the thermostat, the cooling method. There's the outdoor compressor. I turn it on. I listen to it. Should sound nice. There's a liquid line, refrigerant line, and condensate line. Condensate line goes into a condensate pump and that discharge tube here. Where's that discharge? In the sump pump? Nope. It goes outside. There's the manufacturing label. I always take a picture of that. And here's the condensate pump line discharging should discharge away from the foundation, not right next to it. And everything was operating and I could access everything. So the main thing is really the filter and it hasn't been serviced or cleaned in a while. Moving right along. We're in the plumbing section. Again, looks like a huge checklist. You should see the electrical coming up, but it's not that bad. There's main shutoff valve. Everybody should know where the main shutoff valve is, every homeowner. There's the water meter, there's a check valve, pressure regulator, and water distribution supply pipes. Main shutoff valve, uh, a fuel valve. Every fuel burning appliance should have a shutoff valve right next to it. And there's the main shutoff valve there, and it's right there um, near the regulator as it comes into the house. Water heating equipment, it's gas fired. There's the gas shutoff valve regulator and the discharge of the TPR. It's not dripping. There's an expansion tank and there's an expansion tank on the hot water tank because there's a check valve. So when water heats up, it expands and it can't go backwards when there's a check valve installed. So you need some place for that expanding water to go without blowing the TPR valve. You can learn all that in the plumbing course and that's the expansion tank. Now, this is a major defect. And I found this basically just like I found all the other defects in the home. Um, by following a checklist. At the hot water tank, there's like 10 things you have to inspect. And if you miss one, then you're gonna miss this, right? Don't rely on your memory, just keep looking at your checklist. The checklist will tell you exactly what to inspect. And base, basically I, I got to this at the end of the inspection of the, I didn't see this until I got to this component of the system, hot water tank, hot water source system, components of the system. And so what we have here is a, a flue pipe, but it's going uphill and then it goes down. And what you want is a nice continuous sloping going up of flue gases this way. Now, I don't know if they've had problems in the past. Maybe they're, maybe it's just fine. It's working just fine. It's been working that way for 10 years. It could be absolutely true, but code standards, building practices, best practices say this should be sloped like that. Nothing should be going uphill and down. This ain't water. 
even water needs to be flowing in one direction, all downhill drainage water, right? So this is a defect. We don't want carbon monoxide billowing out and hurting people. So um, that's a major defect. And if someone says, well, that's how it was built. Well, it was built wrong. That's how it was built to code. It passed code, it's infection. Okay, no one's been hurt. Okay, enough of that, right? Here's a defect. I both observe it and deem it to be material. I'm gonna put it in the report as a recommendation, immediate recommendation. Um, so there's the interior water supply and you gotta inspect all the toilets by flushing them obviously, and all the sinks and showers for functional drainage and functional flow. So there are inspection restrictions. You don't have to move any of this stuff. So what I do is I turn on the hot and cold water at the sink, turn on the tub, pull, get the shower going, maybe flush the toilet again, more water at the sink, take a look at the other shower all at the same time. I, I like to run things all at the same time. If everybody wakes up in the family, you know, and takes a shower, the same thing, can't handle it, you know. Um, and then even at the sink, hot and cold water. And then the outside, any faucets, this is a frost-free hose bib, this is in cold climate, absolutely is necessary. And the, then the drain waste vent system. So we did supply, we did the fixtures, and now we do uh, flushing the toilets and the sinks, and where does it all go? Well, there's the vent pipe on the roof. Can't see anything through the floors. Everything's covered up, but here's a toilet flange and some other pipes. Water going out, essentially. And sump pumps. You're required to inspect those sump pumps. We've seen this a couple of times now. And it's discharging outside. It's got a check valve, lid, dry, bucket. Uh, is it public water or private water? It's public water. There's a water meter. There's location of the main water shutoff valve. Basically, it's a bunch of systems uh, of, uh, in an inspection, it's, you're inspecting a system and breaking it down into components, describing location of the, those components and the condition of those components, describing those components in, in certain ways, especially if it's a defect and then making recommendations. And if that recommendation should describe why you're making that recommendation, it's a hazard. Someone's gonna hurt themselves falling um, down those five steps in the back slider door. Take a picture of the, the water heater label. There's the bathrooms. Installation of hot and cold water faucet. Ideally, left is hot, right is cold, no big deal. Any active plumbing leaks observed, you gotta report upon that. Any toilets that were loose or damaged, you gotta report upon that. Now you can group the bathrooms. I don't inspect all the bathrooms together in my process. I just group them in my report together. So this is the first floor, half bath, GFCI and vent, second floor, half bath, two sinks, shower, and then a little, little damage there. Not big deal, no big deal. And I couldn't get behind the shower. I like a plumbing access panel there. So second floor bath, and this is a master bath, shower, and sink, and GFCI in the door. Now the electrical, there's a ton to inspect at the electrical. Let's just go through them. Remember, if you hold a checklist in your hand, you look really smart. You reduce the number of mistakes. You know exactly what to inspect. But if you don't, we have an electrical course, which goes over electrical service terminology. Because if you don't want to, if you don't know what a service drop is, that's in the standards of practice, you ought to. 
So let's take a look. This is a service drop. Service drop are these red arrows. Um, this is the lines that you see if it's overhead, like from a telephone pole to a house, right? And they should be above the sidewalk, above the driveway, above the street, or you have an underground. So it's either over or under where the electric comes to the house or building. And this is underground. There's a meter attached to the house. So overhead attachments are there, spliced, and there's goosenecks and there's drip loops and things like that you want to take a look at. And we, in the electrical course, we describe and show you what these things are. So every point, everything, every component in the standards of practice is, there's a training component on it. Now there's no service mast here, but this is an underground service and I'm touching the, the conduit here coming up from the ground into the meter and then back into the electrical panel in the house. And this is the electric meter and base. And the main disconnect at the panel sometimes, sometimes it's near the meter on the outside of the house, inside of the house. It can be on the inside or outside. It can't be in a bathroom. Um, you wanna be able to turn off all the electricity to the house quickly with no more than six hand movements. Um, panel boards, you don't want any openings. You don't wanna be sticking their finger in and getting electrocuted. You do not have to remove the dead front cover. I do. I like to see what's inside. I've been trained to do it. Service and grounding, service grounding and bonding. Um, this is the grounding rod here. It's sticking out of the ground too far. It's, it's improperly installed. Um, it should be um, driven into the ground. So this is a defect that I'm gonna put in the report. But if you're kind of weak on grounding and bonding, no big deal. At the Home Inspector College International School, uh, we go over grounding and bonding, what it is, rods, clamps, locations, jumps, all that stuff, sizes, things like that. So just go into the electrical course and learn about grounding and bonding. This is the water supply line, uh, CPVC, typical. Uh, it's been used for a long time. Go to Home Depot, take a look at pipes, maybe even take a picture of it. You can put it in a report of different water supply distribution pipes, um, kind of fun. Um, but the electrical course, will help you go through this entire checklist. There's a lot to inspect. And it's representative number. So representative number of lights, representative number of wall receptacles, representative number of AFCIs and GFCIs. GFCIs at the bathrooms and the kitchens and the presence of smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. So smoke alarms, they have to be powered by the building wiring with a battery backup. And if they don't, then that should be an upgrade. Right. You should also look for carbon monoxide detectors, especially if there's a fuel burning appliance or an attached garage with an opening to the house. So in here, there's a fireplace. It's not real. It's a fake fireplace, essentially. Right. Um, there isn't a chimney. It's a through wall vent system. Hot exhaust gases come out cool, cool or um, combustion air is moved in. And I think it was turned off. I didn't get the uh, turn it on. I have to describe the disconnect of the electrical panel. There it is, main disconnect, 200 amps, type of wiring, typical uh, common NMB wiring, and any problems that I have. You have to inspect for these issues, and if you see them, they should be in the report. I don't have any problems with the cable coming in, No, nothing unused, no openings in the panel. I tested receptacles for GFCI and AFCI. 
and there, every uh, bedroom has smoke detectors and there aren't any absent uh, smoke or carbon monoxide detectors. And I have a fireplace here, but the gas valve was turned off and I don't turn on gas valves. You're not required to, and it's not a good idea to. If the water is turned off, the main water su supply is turned off, it should have been prepped for you. You can remind people to have things turned on for you before you start an inspection. But let's say they're turned off, you shouldn't really turn them on. Um, you can imagine if you turn this on or a water, main water valve is turned off and you turn it on, you're responsible for anything that happens after that, I would say. Well, the judge will probably say. Um, there's a switch, it won't turn on. That's no big deal, it's an inspection restriction. And now I'm in the attic, attic insulation ventilation, and it's about 10 o'clock. Remember we started, I got there early, started at eight, met my client, got off the roof, exterior, went down in the basement, structure, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, hot water source. I come up, I'm in the attic, right? Well, uh, actually I'm doing uh, um, unfinished spaces. So attic, and but insulation in unfinished spaces, this is unfinished and then it's insulation. We already took a look at that with our gardening tool, remember? And then I go into the attic. So at 10 o'clock, I'm in the attic and I know that I'm on time, I'm on track. I'm on track to make about 500 bucks during this inspection. I'm not gonna go and walk all around the attic. There's no flooring. You can fall right through. I have before in the past, but I don't see any problems with the trusses. It's truss built. Um, there's missing insulation here. There's the attic access, uh, missing insulation there, but it's fiberglass, loose fill in insulation, about 14 inches thick. It's really good, but they need some insulation on top of the attic access panel. It's very easy to do. You have to inspect the ventilation in unfinished spaces, including attics, crawl spaces, and foundation areas. So there's the ridge vent, right? It's been cut for that ridge vent on top of the roof. That's underside. That's the top side. And there's the eaves, there's soffit vents there. And then mechanical exhaust systems in the kitchen, bathrooms, and laundry area. And ideally everything will be exhausting outside. Everything should be exhausting outside. This microwave isn't, it's not going outside, it's just circulating. I put it in the report, not as a material defect, but I want my clients to know that, you know, if they're gonna cook something and they're gonna burn some garlic or something, um, that smoke isn't leaving the house, it's going right back in. You have an indoor air quality issue for sensitive folks. Um, bathrooms may have windows, uh, the laundry, um, the dryer exhaust at the laundry is a fire hazard. You can't have any louvered things. You have to have a nice hood that's open, uh, no screens, no louvers. And that, that's code, but we're not a code inspector, but we know this has to be open. Things have to flow out of the dryer without any restrictions. And ideally this bathroom exhaust fan would be going terminating outside. They call it terminating outside, going outside. Um, and so that, that could be a problem if there was a lot of moisture in this area with mold or dust or something um, like rusty nails showing in the cold climate when this attic is cold, there's a humid air, warm, humid air condensing on these cold components. It could be, but I don't see it. So it's really a call. How, how much do you want to make this a big issue? Um, it's going to be in a report, but I'll talk to my client about it and they'll fully understand. 
the uh, degree to which I'm making my recommendations. Um, describe the insulation, loose fill, about 14 inches thick, really nice. Any need of correction, a little bit right there at the plumbing act, um, at the attic access panel. And then the interior, and it's all representative. Number of doors and windows, floors, walls, ceilings, stairs, steps, landings, handrails, and then the garage. So there's the inspection restrictions, some windows up and down, got a little dent there, got a little scratch there, got a little damage there, it's okay. Garage door opens and closes. There's 10 steps to inspecting a garage door opener. This is an automatic garage door opener. If you take our interior course, we go through the 10 steps. There's a video also. You can remind yourself of the 10 steps, do them in sequence um, so that everything is done according to a standard, um, like the American garage door standard or something like that. Um, 10 steps. Actually, step 10 is one I don't do. It's the one where you, you do a lot of pressure uh, reverse thing. You don't, you're not required to do it, but you can do it if you wanted to. Um, in this garage door, it all worked. Photoelectric eyes. And then on the interior, any spacing in between the balusters that's large enough for a child to fall through, that's a defect. Photoelectric eyes that didn't work, they all, they all worked really well. And any windows that were cracked or have fogged window panes, nothing wrong with there. And then like, um, you can look for active roof leaks or indications of active roof leaks. So when you're in the interior, if you see marks on the ceiling, um, careful, don't, don't say those are active roof leak. This is just a storage clip here, um, scraping along. And, you know, if this was a watermark, sometimes a watermark with drywall that's old is kind of golden in color, brown, tan in color, they have a ring. If you see multiple rings or something, um, I would use my infrared camera I would then follow up my infrared camera with a moisture meter. If nothing is like coming out as an active roof leak, I'd still report upon it because it could be dry. Maybe it's in a dry climate and it hasn't rained for a month. Um, I don't know. But when I see watermarks, not these type of marks, but watermarks, this isn't a watermark, it's just a scuff. Um, and you get experience in describing, uh, identifying which is which. But if this was a watermark, um, I'd probably put in a report and ask my client to ask the seller about roof leaks. I have an indication of a roof leak. Let's ask the seller about the performance of the roof in the past. Has it ever leaked? And why didn't they paint this? Let's say this is a watermark. Why wouldn't they paint watermarks before a home inspection? You know I'm going to see it. So sometimes homeowners don't even know that they have a, an active roof leak because it isn't like dripping. Laundry, that's a separate section. I like to look for water leaks, obviously, electric dryer, uh, GFCI protection is needed. Uh, we've got a catch pan underneath the clothes washer. They're really handy, um, but this one's damaged, no big deal. And we've got that defect on the outside. That's a fire hazard. The dryer needs to be fixed. Kitchen, I know I'm, I'm doing good. It's like 10.30 in the morning. I'm approaching 11, 11 o'clock and uh, I'm making my money, providing a really great service, educating our clients. And I want to finish up in the kitchen. It's the heart of the house. So um, I do a run water, garbage disposal, valves, GFCI protection all over the place, looking for that. We've got a missing plate, a cover is missing, no big deal. It's right there and it broke off, no big deal. 
GFCI protect, I run water at the dishwasher, essentially running water, see if it leaks. If it does, it's not my problem. Stove, electric stove, try not to burn my hand when I touch the oven elements. Sometimes I do. Want to pull on the stove to make sure it's secured to the wall. And then we've got my microwave leak detect detector. And then I got a little trim missing, some corner around, no big deal. And then my inspection report. I'll have the summary and the report available before um, the end of the day. And I'll probably have a summary immediately because that's what the real estate agent wants. What do I got to do to get this to closing? And that's okay. That's their goal. My goal isn't that, but I'll provide information to help other professionals. So if someone needs a checklist of things that need to be fixed, they're in my report. Um, before somebody moves in, negotiate on the price, have it fixed before you move in, uh, know about it. Information uh, is, is awesome. Uh, have a, a to-do list after you move in, something like that. Um, that doesn't really concern me what you do with my information. Um, there's so many options. I really don't care. My whole focus is educating my clients, making sure that they know how their home works if there are problems, what they are, and the, and the degree to which those problems may impact their lives. Um, is their home healthy? Every home should be safe, sound, structurally sound, clean, comfortable, energy efficient, things like that. And I, I'm trying to do that for my neighbors. I, th I think that's a really good, valuable service how their home works, how to maintain it, and how to save energy and keeping it healthy. So this is my inspection report. I try to throw in as many pictures as possible. The honest truth is reports, full reports aren't really read much, only when you know an attorney wants to read it. Um, and then it, it's really important that your report has pictures and words and identifies the problems uh, describes what you did, what you inspected, and the condition of the systems and components of the things that you inspected are written clearly in the report. It should be easy to read, not very technical, clear to understand. Pictures, thousand words, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. A bunch of pictures is worth a lot more than that. So this is an actual inspection report of mine that I have. Try to put a lot of things in there, the good and the bad, right? Oh, there's one. Ask the seller about the, the satellite, right? I don't know anything about satellite. If you don't know what is going on in a certain component of a house, don't, don't fake it. Just say, I don't know what the system is or a component is. I don't know what's going on here. Let's ask the seller to describe it. Uh, abbreviated list of the standards of practice. You should link out to the standards of practice. Uh, it's really important for your client to know the standards to which you performed an inspection for them. Um, the graphics is really good. The illustrations are really handy. They make it look really professional, uh, your report. And then I have a little conclusion and walkthrough. I remind my clients that I, I'm available uh, for contacting and asking me more questions. And I try to do the best that I could. And uh, I'm available for a pre-closing walkthrough. And, um, and then I leave this letter for the seller on their kitchen counter saying, uh, try to put everything back 
uh, I used, uh, I wore indoor shoes only, uh, but you may want to look at these things and, and make sure that they're back where they were. Thank you. If you need me, here's what a lot of my clients were um, sellers. A lot of people move within their county in the same neighborhood sometimes, moving up or moving down. Um, sometimes they're completely moving away and I lose those people. But um, if they're in the same area, my market area, service area, I usually get them because I beat them up so much that they want to hire me as their inspector. Um, this is a URL I want to leave you with, um, natcha.org slash everything. Go there. Um, tonight or before the end of the week, um, natcha.org slash everything. There's 15 steps to success. Um, you should be at step one for sure. Step one is the join internetchi. Step two is to get trained and certified. Remember, I, I told you the value of being certified, getting that CPI certification. It triggers a lot of things that internetchi provides to our inspectors for free, especially the internetchi marketing team. And then if you need some tools, man, you just need a flashlight, GFCI tester. <laughs> if I, probably that's about it in order to do an inspection um, and practice, practice, practice. Even if you're a veteran inspector, you can always get better and faster. Um, not blowing through the house and skipping stuff, but being more efficient so you can make more money in the same amount of time that we have. And then if you don't know about how to calculate a profitable fee, it has nothing to do with anybody sitting next to you. Not really, you can ask, but it has to do everything with math. You have to use math. And so uh, you click this button here to figure out um, how to calculate a profitable inspection fee. And uh, in you'll be taken to a, the home inspection business course. And within the course, I think it's chapter 11, my favorite chapter, chapter 11 of the home inspection business course, we meet Inspector Mary and Inspector John, and they're both trying to figure out how to calculate a profitable fee. And we go step-by-step step through the process in various ways. And it's kind of fun and you can follow along and then start marketing, get a domain for your website. I like Google domains, get a logo like the internet marketing team, get a website. We have an internet vendor for websites. That's at natchiorg slash website and get free job leads. Um, and if you want me to show you how to get free job leads, I can, um, but I think I have spoken, um, I think over my time, I'm not sure, hopefully Miranda's there, but at this point, if you follow this step-by-step, step, you can start making money as a home inspector. These five steps, you can start making money. You can actually start doing jobs, getting job leads from InterNACHI. Your phone is going to ring. If you become a CPI and you have a domain, you have a website and you, and you sign up for the free leads, your phone might ring. If you have an online scheduling system embedded in your website, you can get a job. So that's really important to do these five steps and then you can do the rest of them and it takes more work. So it's really up to you. Internet has a ton of resources and I'm one of them. And if you wanna ever talk, I'm available, I'm on the contact page, but just write my email down, ben at internet.org. And uh, I, I reply to every email. It may be immediate or maybe a couple of days later, but um, you can always get to me and I just love it. I love helping other inspectors be successful with their businesses.